Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we are in episode three of season 20, and we're talking about transforming worship. And my friend and colleague and someone that I've worked with for many years, Rory Nolan, is with me in all of our conversations. Welcome again, Rory. Good to Thanks see you. Thanks for being here with yeah, me. Yeah, good to meet you again. Yeah. And so we're having some of our own conversations, but we're also inviting some guests to contribute to a lively conversation. And so today's guest is our very own podcast producer, Colleen Powell. And the reason that I've invited her today is because we are talking about Sunday morning, the Sunday morning worship. And Rory has a lot to say about that. And I'll kick us off by reading a little bit from his book. But uh, Colleen, as a younger woman with family uh, attending a church where she has has reasons for attending Sunday worship there, but they might not be because they're transformative. Uh, She's got other reasons. And I think that she represents a perspective of a younger generation right now. And she's, you know, if I can say she's in in, in her forties, we'll just put it that way. But we know there's an even younger generation than that, that we care about people in their twenties and thirties. And so I think the question of Sunday mornings and how we experience them even cross-generationally, what different generations are looking for, for right now in their worship, not that that necessarily has to inform everything, but at the same time, I think we need to be interacting. So I'm really excited about this conversation. I think it's going to be very relevant to where many of us are as we think about church and worship these days. So welcome to you, Colleen, as well. It's a gift to be on the journey with you. And Colleen has been in multiple transforming communities. So she's deep in the journey with us here. And so she's experienced transforming worship with the Transforming Center for many years now. And so she's just the perfect person to have (laughs) in our conversation. Hallelujah. So happy. Well, today we're talking from chapter four of Rory's book, Transforming Worship. And in this chapter, Rory, you address reclaiming Sunday morning as the church's primary formative event. And uh, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this because we have so deeply walked into transforming worship within our transforming community experiences where we had have eight little prayer and worship services throughout every retreat, which are really transforming. I must say that many people, when they when we survey them about what was most meaningful to them in the transforming community experience, the fixed hour prayer and worship is one of the things that's always right up there. It may be number one or it may be number two, but it's right way up there. So we know that we've experienced a lot of transformation in our worship services here in the Transforming Center. But what we're talking about here is Sunday morning in a church as a primary formative event, or in your language, the church's primary formative event. So let's, why don't you say a little bit about this to kick us off into this conversation? And then, then I want to talk about whether or not that's actually what we're experiencing in the church these days. <laughs> yeah. And, um, what, and that's where I run a really, you know, pull Colleen's voice in as a, as a younger person and have her speak a little bit to what, what are some of the things that she's noticing and observing and experiencing in her own, in her own life. Well, I, yeah, I hear it in your question. Is, is is it even possible? Because yeah. Yeah, how many of us yeah. really experience that? And yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, it's it's funny because when I was as I was writing this book, I knew if I go out speaking about this, people are going to say, "Well, can you give us an example of this?" Um, and I'm thinking, is there anybody that's really doing it right? <laughs> and uh, one thing that I was led to uh, really is to go back to the early church and. I'm not saying they did it perfectly, but they had some things going there that really were working that I think are worth emulating and, and applying to our situations today. 
And it seemed like the church, the early church, and I'm talking, you know, second, third, fourth centuries, you know, you know starting there, they really had this idea of what Sunday morning, uh, it really was a, a, um, a time to, to edify the believer. And um, so when you look at their practices, first of all, they laid out the church lectionary. And that was the yearly calendar. They followed the, you know, the church year. And the whole thing was designed to walk people through a formative process, a formative spiritual process. And, you know, so you had Advent and, you, you know, you had, you had lent all of these spiritually, really potent, you know, opportunities to, to grow spiritually. And so, uh, and the, the outlet for this was Sunday morning. And that was the place. They didn't have another like segment of the church that was devoted just to, to spiritual formation or, or spiritual ed uh, or small groups. Or the, it was it was Sunday morning and the liturgy, the whole service. You know, the, with with the lectionary, they uh, they had really formative prayers and you know a lot of scripture, and then you had a sermon and of course uh, communion as well. And so right there, you know, that taught me that taught me something that made me really sit up and take notice that uh, that the church, especially Sunday morning, um, is really the first place I think we should look. For one thing, it's the only time that we have everyone together. And I mean, just logically speaking, everyone's there. There's more people there on Sunday morning than you're going to get in a like a small group ministry or something like that. And what I see happen in so many churches is they have a small group ministry or just the spiritual formation ministry. It's great. I love it. It's wonderful. But what I see happening too often is it is it impacts only those that uh, sign up for that. And so you have a whole segment of the congregation. What about them? And couldn't we bring that into the service? And that's kind of the, the thrust of my whole book anyways. Could I? Could we expand our language just a bit for those who might worship on Saturday nights oh, yeah. and sure, say yeah. maybe the weekend service? Because sure. we know in our culture that, that there are some churches that meet on Saturday nights. And in fact, when I talk about Sabbath, I talk about the fact that ideally, as, as it has to do with Sabbath, it, it's, it would be nice to worship on Saturday nights like the Jewish people did where they worshiped the night before and then everybody could wake up and really have that restful day. So I'm still encouraging that as I go around and sure. speak to people about Sabbath, yeah. that we might consider whether the priority of Sabbath keeping might change our schedules even. So maybe we could just talk about the weekend or the yeah. the, the, the congregations gathering whenever they, they gather, you know, because just to expand so we don't lose any of our listeners who meet on Saturday nights. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By all <laughs> yeah. means, I didn't mean mm-hmm. to, yeah. know, just just yep. uh, Sunday morning, sure. But I, there's two things that I took away as I was you know, studying the early liturgies. And uh, first of all, is gathered worship in a unique way models essential spiritual practices. And, uh, you know, they're just the basic ones, prayer, uh, you know, scripture, and, and confession, it teaches us how to pray. And even those of us that are been, been Christians for a long time, I still hear things in the liturgy or in, in prayers that, or something that somebody else prays. I'm going, oh, I, I want to include that in my prayer, or I really like that prayer. I like to pray that, uh, you know, when I get home. And uh, so we can always learn something, I think, about these, these classic spiritual disciplines. First of all, we model their importance. And then we show people how to do them as well. 
Um, and then I think the second thing that the reason gathered worship plays a unique role in spiritual formation is because it directs our desires toward God. In his book, Desiring the Kingdom, James K.A. Smith, he, um, he goes back to Aristotle and he states that human beings are defined by our desires. And uh, I'm summarizing here very, very crudely. And our desires, in turn, are shaped by our habits, or we might say practices. And he says that the habits that impact us the most profoundly and deeply are the ingrained ones, the ones that go deep into us. They're physical as well as mental. And when you think about it, gathered worship has it all going. I mean, it's, it's, it's physical, it's mental, it's, you know, it's very intellectual. We're listening to sermon, we're processing, we're responding, and we're singing, which is very, very physical. Uh, we're clapping, you know, we're standing. Uh, we go forward for, for communion. You know, we, we take that into, into our bodies. Uh, we smell things, we see things. So it's very stimulating visually as well. So gathered worship has a way of directing our desires toward God. It, just by going, it, it has a way of directing our desires to God, even if we, we don't realize it or not. Making a decision to go even go to church says a lot about us and says a lot, a lot about what we want, what, how we want our desires to be shaped. And so gathered worship is one of these ingrained habits that I think forms us very deeply uh, by, des by shaping, by directing our desires toward God. I just threw a lot, a lot at you there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that is so good. That I, I love this idea that gathered worship can be an ingrained habit that shapes us and forms us over time. And I think that's really, really a significant point, which also sort of gives us a sense of weight and gravitas then about those of us who plan such services, are we planning them in such a way that they really do direct people's hearts and desires towards God and shape something in them, you know, that's godly? Or is it, or is it something else? Because I've been a part of church services where I would say, hey, what got formed in me is n not quite that. It made me jealous of who's up on stage and, or it directed my heart and my desires towards the people who were on the stage versus opening me to God. I mean, it was in some ways self-serving. Sometimes you can see that, you know, and it forms something kind of icky it, it, inside. It deforms us. And it, yeah, yes. I mean, that's, yeah, it really, it's a huge responsibility when you start as a, as a leader, as a church, as a worship leader, pastor, or part of the planning of the service. It really does put the responsibility, but that's the thing that drives you to your knees and go, Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. guide us. And it also forces us, sometimes uh, those of us who get on stage, we can be a little self-centered, causes us to be not, mm -hmm. not so self-centered. It doesn't matter yeah. how I look or how yeah. I come across, are people being formed? It doesn't matter, you know, did, you know, did I look good? The matter is, you know, were people's mm -hmm. 
lives impacted today. Yeah, and Rory, I just must say that in all the years of having you as our worship leader here in the Transforming Center, that was something that you embodied so clearly. Mm-hmm. You always sort of faded back into the background, but you led us. You you helped us to come forth in worship versus mm-hmm. drawing attention to yourself. And I always wanted younger worship leaders in the room. I always felt like they were very privileged to get to be led by worship, led in worship by you, mm-hmm. because that was one of the things you modeled. And to me, that's one of the most important things we need to have modeled as uh, young worship leaders are coming up that that we are really supposed to be directing people mm. towards the Lord, but sometimes we can't help ourselves mm. drawing attention to ourselves. But you never did that. Mm. You always drew us out into worship and you never distracted us from that. Mm. And so I would like everybody to get to have that kind of an experience in a worship environment mm. where the worship leader actually recedes mm. in terms of prominence mm. and our hearts and our, and our mouths and our voices are drawn out. Mm you know, towards worship. So mm. that's one of the, one of the things that I value the most about you as you've been with us is how you've modeled that, mm. how you live it and how you model mm. it. Cause um, it's pretty significant. Well, thank you. It comes from being convicted of sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Exactly. Not doing it <sighs> in the spirit, doing it on my own. It's like, okay, yeah. I can do that yeah. anymore. Wow. Well, we could all hope that this would be the experience as we go to Sunday services. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's not always the experience we're having. And I think we could also, and we will have a conversation now about what happens if the church that we're a part of isn't committed to transforming worship and the worship services are not actually forming something positive in us. Because, you know, Bob Mulholland talks about the fact that formation is happening all the time. The only question is whether it's transformational or deformational. And we've already acknowledged the fact that actual deformation can take place in church services. Like even some of the things that we're hearing now, some of the documentaries that are out now are really disturbing in terms of some of what can be formed in and through a Sunday service uh, and the way the leaders are conducting themselves um, both on stage and off. So that's why we have Colleen. I want Colleen to really talk about kind of some of the things that your generation is wrestling with as it has to do with Sunday mornings in particular. Yeah, I'm going to break the heart of um, worship planners everywhere mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. <laughs> say that, uh, and I am kind of a denominational mutt. Like I have mm-hmm. attended a variety of different denominations, large churches, small churches. I've worked in churches and I actually have rarely experienced Sunday morning to be a formative place. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think some of it is I'm wired in a way where a lot of the aspects of Sunday morning worship aren't necessarily the places of formation Mm -hmm. for me. Um, Justice is a real kind of pathway to worship for me. And obviously, aside from like talking about it, not, you know, there's not a lot of churches that are are going out and doing that on a Sunday morning Mm -hmm. instead Mm -hmm. of gathering. It's kind of all extra. But, But I would say for me, I have had to find other places for formation and for worship mm-hmm. outside of the church and i i'm a mom i have i have four kids and we have sort of settled in a place that is fine to attend on sunday mornings i love the community i love the people there and it is a great place for my kids mm-hmm. but i don't experience 
the Sunday morning, like when Rory said making a decision to go to church as kind of a, a habit, that's really the the thing like that at its core. And I think that is what's been so hard coming out of the pandemic yeah. was I didn't when I didn't have to and I didn't miss it. My life didn't change. My life didn't have some tremendous deformation. It was hard mm -hmm. to motivate myself to go back to the habit mm -hmm. because it 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 wasn't a an added benefit to me, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. There were other places that I was already residing in and and finding that formation transformation. And so so I don't know. I think I'm I don't think I'm alone. Yeah. Well and just to add to that those who know my journey well know that, um, you know, I, I actually stepped away from church for two or three years in order to take that solitude journey to find God outside of the complication of church for me, which was having a pastor dad, having a church that was very fundamentalist and conservative. And so I didn't believe some of the things that they were teaching and I needed to see who now, who is God? Is God, in the, are the God in the church the same thing? I don't think so. And then finally, to know God beyond the way the church represents God, because many times the church isn't representing the tr on every level the truth of who God is. So some of the kinds of discrimination that one experiences in the church, to me, I, I came to understand that it does not reflect the heart of God towards me. But the only way for me to come into that discovery was to step away for a bit and unravel all the threads. Um, so I... I I do. I think this conversation about when and where and how church is transformative or not um, is really important because there is a, a difference between the ideal and what some of us actually experience there. Well, and I guess the the thing that I struggle with is the question of can the church even hold? Can the Sunday, like the Sunday or Saturday service, even be the place of transformation when we are so fractured when mm. we are it's a broad community i don't know like i i almost feel like the way that we have built the church i don't know that a sunday morning can do that can hold mm. all of that or if it does i don't i haven't experienced i haven't experienced one that does it well mm. and so I like I don't know. I don't know where the church's Sunday morning service place is in that mm -hmm. whole question. Well, and even one of the things that I've reflected on around the topic of transforming church is the fact that that I'm a pastor's kid and I went to church all my life and I saw people who had been in church for 50 years attending church three times a week including Sunday morning and not changing they were still selfish and self-centered and bad marriages and territorial and, you know, all of that's gossipy. And I mean, this has been one of the major questions of my life is how can people go to church for this long and this regularly and not be changing? Oh, that question is so deep inside me. And it's to the point here, you know, that people can go to Sunday services or Saturday night services for years and years and years and never change. Which doesn't change what you said, Rory. I mean, I, I also, I think that they, that these two truths are really true and need to be held together. That, that there is something about gathered worship that does direct our hearts and our desires back towards God. You know, that if we don't absent ourselves from life in the culture, somehow our hearts won't get redirected back to God potentially. And in the secular society, you know, the secularization of our society there's no place in the society that's going to point us back to God and and shape our desires and our hearts for God, right? 
and we are shaped by who we rub shoulders with and we're shaped by the practices that we have in our lives. So I feel like the hard part is that all these things are true all at once. <laughs> and that's, I think that's the hard part of it as well. And, you know, I hear what you're saying and I too have experienced, you know, what, what you're in thought about everything that uh, questioned as well. And I think in, well, you know, I, when I started writing this book, it was during COVID. I'm like, oh, great. I got a book coming out during COVID. That's that's wonderful timing. With, <laughs> on gathered worship. On gathered worship. <laughs> we yeah, cannot do. Great, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Colleen mentioned something that I think was very observant because we, yeah, um, we all wondered, boy, how come they haven't come back? And I mean, I've gone into conversations really the last two years about uh with pastors and worship leaders in dismay over uh, why people have not come back to the level that they did before. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, you start talking about the different reasons and everything. And a couple of times I've raised the issue, I think it was the elephant in the room. And I said, is it because uh, do people now don't no longer value um, the gathering because we never gave them a good reason to come in the first place. And everybody just kind of went quiet. And I, just, I mean, as I say it there, I was like, yeah, it's kind of, because that's, that doesn't feel good. And um, so in many ways, I thought, well, gee, maybe my book's coming out at a good time because maybe it does cause us, help us. I, I think at a, we're at a time, especially in church leadership, where we are reevaluating what in the heck is going on and yeah. uh, what have we contributed to this and how can we fix it? And, um, you know, you started by saying, you know, uh, you know, what can we tell what, what can we tell the people that are dealing with this, this which is all of us it's like, well, the church does need our prayers, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I was in a conversation um, about a year and a half ago with my son and um, my son, he, he's a he's a strong believer, but he just dreads going to church and uh I hear about it all the time, you know, and mm. and I've listened, you know, very, very politely over the years. And, you know, because I I'm not I can't disagree with anything he's saying. It's all true. And so he hates going and everything. And I remember we were walking one time and he was unloading once again. You know, And all I could say is, uh, you know, Joel, um, I, I hear what you're saying. I agree. I I've experienced even worse, and he knows my my story. And even going back to high school, some of the things I've seen in the church, I've seen the dark underside of the belly of the church on uh, many occasions. I know what's there, mm -hmm. so he knows that, and I don't need to get into that mm -hmm. now. But I said, you know, don't give up on the church. Uh, Christ, it's the bride of Christ. Christ loves the church. We need. To, I know, know that the church is the bride of Christ, and sometimes it seems more like the the Bride of Frankenstein, but really, you know, Christ loves the church. And so we need to love the church. And I don't know what you're going to do with this, but you need to, you need to get there. You need to get your family there. And um, he took me up on it and he's been going and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. bless his heart. And I, I think it's in many ways, it is a step of faith. You know, I wish I had a silver bullet answer for you. The church is a hard place. And, you, you know, we just moved. So we had to find a church, right? And I, I had a list of things uh, that I want, was looking for in a church. And I, honestly, the list was about 12 or 15 things. And 
I felt the Lord, you know, we, we visited a couple. It's like, wow, you know, this could be really harder than I thought. It's the first time in my life, really, that I've had to shop for a church because I've always kind of been drawn to, I've always worked at a church or something. Mm-hmm. And so that this is a good taste of that, what people deal with, you know. And I just sense the Lord saying, just pick one and be a part of it. Pick the one that's closest and be a part of it. Commit to the people. It's not going to be perfect. It's 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 going to there's going to be a lot of cringe moments, and there have been a lot of cringe moments. And um, but uh, you know, just as as a step of obedience, Lord, I'm I'm going to do it. And I think my son has done that as well. Jesus loves the church, and he died for the church. And I wish God had put somebody else in charge of the church instead of us. Uh, I think it would have been done. I think the angels would have done a much better job. But he's somehow entrusted it to us. We are fallible human beings. So we need prayer and uh, we need grace and mercy. But um, for some reason, you know, relationships are messy. They are really messy in the church. Uh, that's just a reality. And I, I wish I could be more encouraging that, yeah, go to this church. It's great. And there ain't no such church, to be honest with you. Well, I also wonder, there's sort of, for me, a separation between the church and the, the Sunday morning or Saturday evening, the weekend service, because I think we have been deeply involved in this church that we do love while still maybe maintaining some ambivalence for what happens and the weekend service. And so that I think is the tension I feel of like, I, can I, can I be involved in a church if my Sunday morning attendance is somewhat spotty? Like, what does that look like? Or what does that mean? Do I still love the church if I don't want to go every weekend or if it's really nice to stay in my pajamas and have coffee and not have to be rushing out the door to get four kids looking, you know, nice enough for church or whatever. So I don't know. That's the that's a tension I feel because like when you talk about the church, Rory, in that sense, like, yes, I am. I'm with you. It's just that I find that our weekend services aren't always a place where I can bring my weary self and they're talking about what's actually happening in the world Monday through Saturday. Yeah. I need a place where there is there is a place to process that or there is a place to really name that and mm-hmm. I have found church to want to gloss over it or even even try, at the risk of being divisive not bring these things yeah. up. And so that is kind of where the tension for me is, is like, why can't, you know, I think there's very real people who all want to talk about these things, but somehow mm. on Sunday morning, we have to have the most sanitized version yeah, of it. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's exactly what my, what my son was dealing with, too. It's mm. like, I like the people and I like, you know, when I'm with certain people, but oh, man, it's hard to sit through the thing, through the service. Well, and I also want to say, just back to you, Colleen, that you are very committed to community. You've been very Mm -hmm. committed to the communities of the Transforming Center. And I think, you know, there are times when I really want to make the point that there are many expressions of the body of Christ that we can engage. We here in the Transforming Center do believe that we are one expression of the body of Christ here on the earth now. And that our engagement with the Transforming Center um, in a regular and routine way, all the all these practices are part of what we do when we're together, both uh, in our retreats, but also in our work together here uh, in the Transforming Center. That also indicates your commitment and many of our commitment to the body to the body of Christ writ large. 
that we do know that it's important for us to be in community with other believers who are worshiping, who are praying, who are giving, who are using our gifts, who are opening, using spiritual practices to open to spiritual transformation in the deepest places. And so I, I remember your choice to join a transforming community. And you said, you know, you were in a period of deconstruction and you said, I'm going to do my reconstruction here with you people. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with you people that I trust. And so I, I also just want to, I don't know what even all that means, but I just want to throw it in there that, you know, while you're saying what you're saying, you've also made a really significant commitment to a group of believers who are journeying in a, in a particular way right now, contributing on all those levels and opening on all those levels. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, sometimes I consider transforming community more of my personal mm-hmm. church, my yeah. church, than even the one that I attend, mm-hmm. you know, regularly at home. And look at you being faithful to both. I mean, I think that is really a worthy, an incredibly worthy choice uh, for you to be making right now, even though it's a struggle, it's not easy to do it. And I'm sure, you know, you move in and out of how you're approaching it and how you're looking at it, how you're feeling about it all. But I don't know, I see in you the best of the younger generations who are really trying to be thoughtful about these things. So while it might be a a two-year commitment, it's actually a lifelong invitation to a change, changing the way that we approach our relationship with God and the way that that flows through us to others. What I really love is that Transforming Community has a practice of building a depth to be able to hold tensions, to be able to understand what it means to be a person in body. And so then when you put on like the issues of race, it's not a shock to the system. When you put on issues of injustice, it's not a shock to the system. From the very beginning, I was surprised by how quickly people became very open and vulnerable, the way that the intimacy worked, even in what felt like a large group setting. Um, and I tend to... But I think it's, it's the, this is a place of trusting the Holy Spirit, trusting that God is bigger than a given belief if we will show up and trust the Holy Spirit. So I think there's a lot of hope in seeing, again, people from kind of a, a wide range of, of backgrounds and beliefs submitting to the Holy Spirit. I think returning to leaving space for mystery and laying down. Well, we'd like to take a break for a moment from our conversation and invite you to consider transforming Community 20, which is now on the books beginning in April. And if you've been sitting here listening to this conversation about transforming worship and thinking, wow, I would really like to experience some of what they're talking about, TC20 is for you. We really do experience these things regularly and routinely on our retreats and in our transforming community context. And we would love to have you. So if you're interested in transforming community 20, go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. When you apply, you can use podcast 20 as a code to take $50 off your application fee. So again, if you're interested in transforming community 20, you can go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. And now back to our conversation. I think that sometimes people ask me about the church a lot because we, because our work is transforming communities and one level and layer of our work has been around transforming church. And so these are things we think about a lot around here and try to provide perspectives on it. And one of the things that I wonder sometimes is if there might be something that needs to fall into the ground and die like the seed 
in order for something new to come forth. You know, if the church is not in a place right now where some things, some sacred cows, some some things are going to need to fall into the ground and die in order for some new things to come forward, including something new in our Sunday, in our weekend worship, you know, something that is more oriented towards our formation and our transformation versus momentary inspirations or, you know, insightful messages or as worthy as those are. I mean, I, I like being inspired as much as anybody else. I like a good message. I appreciate it when it happens, but that's not necessarily, those are not necessarily the transforming elements. And so, you know, Rory, back around to your point that you made so early in your book, don't mess with Sunday worship. We may have to, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the resistance yeah, that you were describing. Yeah. yeah. On the one hand, I hear you say that, yeah, you're already doing it. So it might not be big changes. It might be more minor tweaks. But on the other hand, maybe in some settings, it is letting some sacred, putting some sacred cows on the altar or letting some seeds fall into the ground and die in order to bring up, bring up some new fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if we're brave enough to do that as a church. Are we willing to let some things fall into the ground and die so that some new fruit can be brought forth in our life together? Yeah. I like what you're saying. I think, <clears throat> I think that's so true. And uh, I think that's a good question. Are we willing for that to happen? Yeah. Uh, are we willing yeah. to? I don't think we're going to get through this without that question. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And, you know, I just wonder if the Lord is already putting that into motion, you know, that, that, mm -hmm. that dying. I wonder if he's already starting. I wonder if that's kind of what's maybe stirring in our hearts is that yeah. maybe things do. Some things need to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's the Paschal mystery in there, isn't there? Yeah. That. It might feel like a death to us, but pa the Paschal mystery is always about life on the other side. Are we willing to trust that sacred rhythm of the spiritual life, the Paschal rhythm of death, burial, mm -hmm. resurrection, new spirit, new life? Mm -hmm. I pray for that. And I also, as much as the Lord lays it on our hearts and gives us the capacity to do it, I want to be, I want the Transforming Center to be in that conversation, to be in that kind of work, yeah. to be in that rhythm, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. for what God might want to bring forth. I've been thinking about the fact as we've been talking that maybe another way of talking about transforming church is that it's a way of gathering that creates more space for God. And this comes out of my own experience of having gone to church three times a week for so many years, not seeing a lot of change in the people that were with me in those settings, and then realizing the same thing about myself, mm -hmm. that I was in church three times a week, and I wasn't changing very much either, which was really sobering. And when I had to step away, you know, I had spiritual direction. I had really good support for that part of the journey, and my spiritual director began leading me into solitude and silence. And I, and I think that what I needed was more space for God versus the busyness and the headiness and the packedness of what I was experiencing in church. And solitude and silence began to give me a way to create more space for God's activity and God's work in my life. And I think that's part of what may be powerful about our transforming worship experiences is that, that they are intentionally created with more space for God, including silences, significant silences all the way through, significant silences at the right time, significant guidance in the spiritual practices that create more space for God. So for me, as I would think about transforming church, that's one of the pieces of definition I would bring, is that a transforming worship service is going to intentionally create more space for God, for that thing that only God can do that I don't know how to do. You know, pastors are well-trained, worship leaders are well-trained, 
they don't always know what God wants to do in your life personally as an individual. And could there be some space opened up in our services for that? I think the other thing that came to me at that time was being more in touch with how my introversion affects me. And that from a personality standpoint, the church had always felt like a place that had more to do with extroversion, all the fellowship mm -hmm. hours mm -hmm. and all the small group interactions mm -hmm. and all the activities and the evangelism that was had to do with relationships. And my introverted self was suffering. Like it was exhausting. I was exhausted at the level of my personality. And so the invitation into solitude and silence gave space for me to be who I am created by God. I'm an introvert. I always have been. And church, the way I had experienced it, had not created enough space for my introverted self. So these are things I think about when I think about transforming worship. Yeah, I hear you. Good. You know, and when I hear you say, too, that uh, a lot of these things we're, we're doing that we want to see in church, we are doing the Transforming mm -hmm. Center. And I think this is why this this book, you know, came out of my experience mm -hmm. at the Transforming Center. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, I think in many ways, I feel like we're starting with the, the leaders of the Transforming Center, with the alum, <laughs> you know, whatever this new thing is, maybe yeah. we're starting there. And, and I think that's why also... You know, I wanted to do this book with the Transforming Center because I was thinking yes. if if anybody's going to get it, it should be those of us that have been through the Transforming Community experience. Is like because we've seen what this could like on our retreats, what this could be on a retreat. It's like, oh, OK, now how do we bring this to our churches? That's right. And these elements can be incorporated. Right. They really can right. be incorporated back into the life of a church. There's no question about yeah. that. And I'm just trying to start the conversations, how we can bring this to Sunday morning in, or the, our yes. weekend services, how we can yeah. bring it to that. And uh, yeah. so this is, I, I mean, one good thing I've, I've, I've experienced with the book is that it has stimulated a lot of good constructive conversation. And this is like, like this. And I, I hope yes. it continues to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that would certainly be a part of our, our goal even in giving people so much experience with transforming worship and transforming community is that it would be the most natural thing in all the world mm -hmm. for them to consider how can we bring these elements into our worship service. And you're right, Rory, they transcend style. You know, you can, you can be a very youthful contemporary model church and still choose to celebrate the Lord's Supper every week yeah. in some sort of an intimate way. Mm -hmm. You can choose to incorporate some silence every single time, even if you're a more contemporary model church, mm -hmm. you can choose to do some responsive praying, even if you're a contemporary, you know what I mean? These things transcend style. And I find that to be deeply encouraging that we're not putting something out there that has really anything to do with one style or another. Any of these things can be done regardless of your style. An Anglican church that already has silence built in could hear what we're talking about and say, we're going to expand that 15 seconds that we give people to 60 seconds or 90 seconds or something like that. We're going to really, we, it's already written into our services. Let's really do that that's thing, exactly, you know, yeah, let's leverage and give people there. more guidance around what to do in the silence, right. you know, exactly. I have to say in my sort of period of deconstruction, when I did stopped attending church for a little while, I, the only place I could go was, was actually Aaron Nequest's practice, mm -hmm. the practice. Yeah. And that was a place that transcended style in that way of they, they were contemporary and ancient and they held space for silence and they were talking about the things that were happening. And it was one of the few worship services that felt very transformative. 
you know, in, in a season when I didn't want to be anywhere near church. Yeah. So I, I do think it's really possible. The other thing, too, if I could just bring a finer nuance to what you just said, it's not just that they were talking about it. They were praying into it because I've been I've been there. You know, Aaron had invited me in and I and I saw that like one of the prayers of the people was us praying into the current issues of the church, not just talking in a heady way, but creating a way to pray with what we're concerned about. Yes. And holding it. Because I think sometimes yeah. we do prayers of the people and we just sort of mention, like we've, we're praying yeah. for Ukraine again, but we're not mm-hmm. like lamenting what's happening. Yeah. We're not mm-hmm. really holding that space. We're just right. checking, checking it off on a box. And I think that is, yeah, they definitely did that well. Yeah. Or if, you know, like in some, if weeping and wailing starts to happen, you leave the space open for actual weeping and wailing about what's happening in our church. Like you said, lament that there's, it's, it's less programmed and more open to the way the spirit might blow through the room around something that you you're offering up to the Lord. These are, yeah, now this is, you know, this really then becomes a transforming experience and almost something that you don't want to risk missing. <laughs> like, because like, we've had that experience in the Transforming Center where something will happen in a prayer service. And if you missed it, you missed it. You know, like the spirit blows through and something happens that nobody planned and it shapes the community in a certain way. It unifies. And if you missed it, you just missed it. You know, And that's another problem with giving up on gathered worship is that if the Holy Spirit blows through the room, you weren't there. <laughs> so, For sure. And it's because I think that there's there's a plan, right? There is a program to all of the prayers, but there is not the execution leaves a lot of space, right? So we have a plan and we also really hold everything Mm -hmm. with what God might want to do in it. And I think sometimes in our weekend services, we have a plan that's timed down to the minute and we are going to follow that Mm -hmm. all the way through. Whether the Holy Spirit blows or not, we are going to keep our plan, (laughs) right? We've all been there and, and seen that. And I know that for those of us who plan worship in the Transforming Center, when we're in the services, once we've planned them, there's almost an an, an alertness or an on the edge of my seat to recognize if anything else happens here that's outside my plan, but is clearly the Holy Spirit moving in and through the community, man, I want to be attuned to that. And rather than rushing on, I want to keep the space open. And um, we've had a couple of moments like that where the Holy Spirit's almost blown the roof off, you know? (laughs) And when you're in it, it's like, where else do you want to be? And let's not shut it down. Let's stay right where we are. Well, I am really glad that by God's grace, this conversation began in a very, with a positive vision. We came through some of the hard stuff, which is all still there, Mm -hmm. but we're also coming back around to a sense of what it could be with a real sense of excitement. And I think the Lord has even been in this conversation to have the conversation unfold in this particular way, because I'm, I'm leaving the conversation very, you know, still feeling the gravitas of the issues. And yet at the same time, feeling some hope as well that some of us can can do this together um, and that Rory's book is a part of it and our experiences within the Transforming Center are a part mm-hmm. of it. Our Transforming Leaders are a part of that who are out there working in specific locales and environments and contexts. And so, so may it be so. May we be a part of seeing the gathered worship as a time to create more space for God and to be alert to when the Holy Spirit blows through mm-hmm. the room. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it would be appropriate for us just to take a moment of silence and for ourselves, but also for our listeners, 
to just be present with desire because I know I'm feeling my own desire for this like in my guts right now and to give ourselves just a moment of quiet to be with our desire and our longing and to wonder what's my part what's my part in bringing transforming worship to the environment that I'm in and where I might have leadership Mm -hmm. God, you are clear in your scriptures that there are desires of the heart that you long to meet. Today, we acknowledge our desire for deeper levels of transformation. We acknowledge our desire to experience that with others in community. And we acknowledge our desire to experience transformation within our gathered worship experiences. We know you long to meet these desires. We know that these desires are consistent with your desires for us as your church. And so we pray that you'd be clear with us about what our part is, that you'd make us faithful to do and to respond to whatever our part is. And in the doing of this, in all of our little individual places, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.